Uh, Good morning, St. Andrews. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, thank you for all you've taught us in the book of Daniel. As we come to this final chapter, Lord, we pray that you'd let us hear your words of challenge and of comfort. Amen. Well, uh, sometimes you just want something to end. I've been in movies uh, where I've felt like that before, Uh, even sermons perhaps, hopefully not today. But I've also had moments uh, when it's been a little more serious and I've felt like that. Uh, I remember a a time I was very sick uh, with kind of a fever and uh, I couldn't sleep and I was incredibly uncomfortable and the night just seemed to go on and on. Just wanted it to end. I wonder if you've had an experience like that. It could be a a whole period in your life. Uh, You've got so much on, you don't feel like there's anything you can do. It's out of control and you you just want it to finish. I remember I had a a, a broken leg a few years ago and every time I moved, it was uh, shooting pain down my shin and I just wanted that to end. When you're in a a period of, of difficulty, of suffering, an end really just looks like uh, a, a cessation of whatever it is that is causing the pain. That's what deliverance looks like. And in Daniel, over the last weeks, well, we've been seeing some devastating predictions of suffering for God's people uh, that were then played out in history. Last week in Daniel chapter 11, we saw a time of persecution predicted between the 6th and 2nd century BC, and then a focus on a particular period uh, within that under the brutal ruler Antiochus IV. And so if you're a Jew in the 2nd century BC living through that, under that kind of persecution, well, you might think, I just want this to end. That's what deliverance looks like, an end to the horrible times that are going on an end to fear and helplessness of being controlled by someone else. And that is an end in a sense, but it's really not enough. It's a cessation of evil, but it doesn't deal with the evil and its consequences. I was listening um, recently to a story um, about the, uh, the Las Vegas uh, massacre in 2017. Um, where a a shooter fired into the country music festival that was going on from a hotel room, killing 58 and injuring 412. And at the time of the shooting, all the people wanted um, who were there, who were in danger, all they wanted was an end to that shooting, an end to the risk, an end to the bloodshed. And that happened after about 10 long minutes. That was deliverance for some, in a sense, uh, who escaped with little harm, but not for those who were killed and injured. And that really wasn't the end. People wanted justice, wanted change to gun laws, wanted things to be put right. Um, One of those um, who was injured, uh, a guy called Jason McMillan said, the scars and injuries from that night can never be erased. Returning back to the second century BC, there was an end to persecution in Jerusalem. A guy called Judas Maccabeus led a a rebellion that brought uh, back some measure of independence to the Jewish people there, well, for a time. Antiochus IV died 
We're not sure how. He may have fallen out of his chariot or perhaps even drowned himself in the sea, but he was never really held accountable for what he'd done. Is that the end? Is that all? No, it's not. We'll see in Daniel 12 that the end is just the beginning and that is a really good thing. So as we pick up in Daniel 12, we're continuing um, the message that Daniel's been hearing all through chapter 11, uh, which has built uh, to a point uh, where we're predicting a, a pattern of persecution for God's people into the future. And so look what happens at the beginning of chapter 12. There's a, a time of great distress, um, as is the pattern that we've seen in Daniel, but then deliverance. And this deliverance isn't just about the ending of persecution, it's actually a beginning. Verse two, have a look. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This deliverance is about everlasting life. This is total deliverance. It's about resurrection, about people living again. Death is spoken of merely as, as sleeping, as if being raised to life is as inevitable as waking after a nap. It's deliverance from not just Antiochus, not just other suffering, not, not the ravages of this world, our sicknesses, our hurts. It's deliverance from death. So you could live your whole life in cotton wool, never damaged, never wasting energy, but you would still die. That's the fate of all humanity. That's your fate. That's my fate. Ever since Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, distrusted God's word and disconnected themselves from him, God is the source of life. And so disconnection from him means disconnection from life. These are the words of the curse that God uttered once people had sinned back in Genesis. For dust you are and to dust you will return. But read this in Daniel chapter 12, verse two. Multitudes who sleep in the dust will awake. Sleep in the dust, it's reversing the curse. It's what we heard in our reading in 1 Thessalonians 4, a description of what will happen at that moment. Uh, it said in verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. The voice of an archangel, perhaps that's what Michael is doing here in Daniel 12 verse 1, the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the Christian hope. And it's for everyone. A multitude will rise. The end is our beginning. And at the end, one group will see everlasting life. The other, shame and everlasting contempt. I guess what's coming next after the end of something um, changes how you feel about that ending. And the contrast between the two, I guess, alternatives for what comes next couldn't be more striking. Everlasting contempt, that kind of future, horrible as it sounds. Well, it actually makes sense when we think of someone like Antiochus IV, a brutal, cold-hearted 
killer. It makes sense when we think of someone like the Las Vegas shooter. Because this end is not just about an end to suffering. It's about making things right. And that's a good thing. Everlasting contempt from God himself, that is what they deserve. And see what it is that separates those who are delivered from those who will rise to everlasting contempt. It's if their name is found written in the book. Now, if we jump forward all the way to Revelation chapter 20, we see a picture of this book again. It's called the book of life there. And there's also another book in that chapter, a book that records deeds. The the book of deeds contains the uh, unflattering but realistic list of everyone's deeds. Antiochus's major injustices, the Las Vegas shooters, but each of ours too. Deeds that consign us to shame, to everlasting contempt, or as it's described in Revelation 20, the second death. This end, remember, is all about making things right. And when you have an infinitely good God, any rejection of him is infinitely bad. The second book in Revelation, the the book of life, uh, that's the the book here in Daniel, well, it just contains a list of names. It's, It's that simple. There are no deeds listed, no pros versus cons, no strengths and weaknesses. It's a simple list. And what's vital is getting your name on that list. How do you do it? Well, from Daniel 12, it's those who are wise, those who lead many to righteousness in verse three. Throughout Daniel, it's been Daniel and his friends who have been typified as wise. And what has this wisdom looked like? Well, it's looked like constant, faithful trust in God. At times, it's looked like stupidity on the outside, like uh, choosing uh, to go into a furnace rather than bow down to an idol, trusting God to protect you. And for us, Well, it looks the same, trust in God. But we know God in a different way or in a fuller way than what Daniel did. We know God become flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate expression of who God is. And so trusting God means trusting him. That's deliverance. That what, that's what gets your name in the book. That's the difference between everlasting life and everlasting contempt, trusting in the living God, trust in Jesus. I think it's fair to say that here in uh, 21st century uh, Warunga, the suffering we experience is not really on a level at all with the persecution of uh, Israel in the second century BC. Um, I was just going for a walk around the suburb the other day and I was just struck by how beautiful everything was. The sky was a sharp blue, the flowers were blooming for spring, wonderful smells and colours. It's easy to think, well, you know, in that kind of life, maybe I don't need deliverance at all. Well, firstly, Daniel tells us we should expect that things will not always be this way. And they are not in many parts of the world. But it also tells us that deliverance is not merely from persecution. It's much bigger than that. It's from 
the curse, from death itself, which as, as beautiful as the birds may sound, awaits us all. As we grow older, we may start to, to feel that more acutely. When we lose someone close to us, it's there in our faces. There is an end. So I want to speak specifically now to those who haven't put their trust in Jesus. If you've not done that, then the reality is your name is not in the book. You face shame and everlasting contempt. That is not a good end. It's not the one I want for you. It's not the one God wants for you. And so here you are hearing this today. And you have a chance to have your name written in that book. How? Well, it's a simple matter of repenting and trusting. Repenting from your rejection of God and his word and trusting yourself to his son, Jesus. Not looking for deliverance anywhere else, but trusting that he delivers you by his death and resurrection. And there's no better time to do that than today. Because as we see in this next section of Daniel 12, the end has already begun. Have a look at the uh, next part of Daniel 12, verses five and six, where the, the monologue message itself has come to an end. Daniel looks up and he sees um, two characters on either side of the river. And in the middle, the glorious man in linen standing there above the river. And uh, what this character uh, says is really significant. Now you can tell it's significant because it's one of the, the two celestial characters who asks a question um, that he answers. It's not just Daniel. He asks how long before these astonishing things will be fulfilled. And you can see it's significant because of the way the man raises one arm and then the other, and then swears by the living one. See, raising just one hand would signify that he's about to say something serious. Raising two, that's massive. It's like uh, the prime minister at, a, at a, a big rally, a huge crowd waiting for everyone to be quiet before he says something until there's absolute silence and you can hear a pin drop. And the man in linen says, well, it will be for a time, times, and half a time, a time, times, and half a time. And you think, well, just give us a clear answer. We've made it this far in Daniel. You'd think that our perseverance would have earned us a little clarity. But no, the man says, time, time, and time times, and half a time. And this phrase, it's got all sorts of connections uh, to other parts of Daniel and other parts of the Bible as a whole, now particularly Revelation. But without going into those now, it seems to signify a period of some indiscernible length, but with a definite certain ending. How long is the question? Well, time. Okay, so it's certainly not straight away, uh, but, but then times as well. So it's, it's actually a little bit longer. And then half a time, just a little bit more, but then it will be. It's like a, a kid traveling in a car who asks, you know, are we there yet? You know, for a, a, a young child, minutes and hours don't really make much sense. Soon, the parent says. The parent's saying, you know, I can't really kind of define for you or describe when, but it will happen. The parent could have said, time, times, and half a time. You need to wait patiently, but the end is certainly coming. Now, you might have noticed 
um, that there are some other times in this passage too, um, down in verse 12, says there that there will be 1290 days and also 1335 days um, around the time of the, uh, of the sacrifice being abolished and the abomination that causes desolation. Now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the abomination that causes desolation finds multiple fulfillments in the Bible. Uh, for starters, with Antiochus uh, setting up an idol in the temple in the second century BC, uh, but also in Titus, the Roman, a couple of centuries later, desecrating the temple in 70 AD. And here at the end of the book of Daniel, we can see how, um, I guess, this symbol uh, can typify the ongoing and repeated setting up of opposition against the living God. So what do these days indicate? Well, I think it's the same message as time, time and half a time, time, times and half a time. Now, track with me here. If you take uh, time uh, as a year, then times uh, to be two years, then time, times and half a time, would account for three and a half years. And if you do some funky maths with solar calendars and lunar calendars, well, you can come up with around 1290 days. There it is, 1290 days. You think we've made sense of it. But just when you do, you've also got 1335 days, which, well, it's a little bit longer. I think the message is the same. A bit of time, a little bit longer, but then the end will come, the time is fixed. It's all very enigmatic. It's, it's difficult to, to make sense of, which I think adds to the point that a certain time has been ordained, set in stone, but we don't know it, we can't know it. Well, even Jesus himself, when he was asked a similar question said, well, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So what does the man in linen want us to know? What's so important after he raises his two hands and swears by the living one? Well, the end is certain. God knows when, but that's not all. He says that the end is when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. As we've seen again and again in Daniel, suffering is the norm for God's people until the end. But this seems like something else. This seems extreme. This seems the most dire, most terrible moment. Of course, there was great suffering under Antiochus, great suffering under the Roman Empire. Was the power of God's people shattered then? Or is that time still to come? Well, we have seen the power of the holy people broken. Actually, a holy person who represents the holy people the son of man, who you'll probably remember from Daniel 7, he represented his people. And Jesus Christ came into our world, calling himself the son of man, God himself in the flesh, living as the ultimate expression of the best example of the representative of God's holy people, entering into the suffering of this place. Unlike us, he was not under the curse, but he took it on himself. He faced the most dire, the most terrible suffering. He was broken, nailed to the cross. The eternal one suffered the shame and contempt that he didn't deserve, but that we do. That's why trusting in him 
puts your name in the book of life. The man in linen says, when the power of the holy people is finally broken, all these things will be completed. But have they been? If Jesus represents the holy people, if his power was broken, have all these things been completed? Well, yes and no. It gets even more funky. See, Jesus rose again. Having slept in the dust for three days, he rose to everlasting life. There's more mystery in this than even appeared for Daniel. Because if the end is the time when those who sleep in the dust will rise, well, then it's already started. It's already begun. And yet it hasn't finished. We've not yet been raised. The fact that it's already begun though, the end is already here is great news for us. It means that though we've not yet been raised, we know with even more certainty than Daniel that our resurrection is sure. Because Jesus was risen, we know that we definitely will be. That's the logic of 1 Thessalonians 4, where we heard our Bible reading. Uh, It says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We have more certainty than Daniel because of the historical fact of the resurrection. The end has already begun. That's, That's mind blowing. And at the end of all this, Daniel, even without the complexity of one man being raised ahead of the rest, well, he's confused. Have a look at at verse eight there. Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. Such honest words. It's a great, great memory verse that I heard, but I did not understand. And even though we have some more clarity than Daniel because of where we sit in history, we don't understand everything either but that's okay. What is Daniel told to do uh, with what he kind of knows, but doesn't quite understand? What are we to do? Seal up the words, go your way and rest. Seal up the words. Daniel himself is told to do that in verse four, and he's told that the words are sealed up in verse nine. Sealed doesn't so much mean hidden away. In Daniel's time, often legal documents would be copied Um, with uh, the copies kind of for general use and the other one, the the original, uh, imprinted with seals and stored securely, uh, which so it could be the final point of reference if it was alleged that a copy had been tampered with. So sealing these words is to say that they are authentic and true and not yet finished with. It's as if to say to Daniel, what you've heard is true, even though you might not understand it. Wait for it all to come good. Trust these words through your lack of understanding. And here at the end of the book, we might be feeling a little bit the same. It's been a a, a book that's full of value, even as some details remain mysterious. But Daniel is told nonetheless to go your way. That is, act on what you do know. Don't navel gaze, act. And what does Daniel know? What do we know? Well, here are some things we know that there is an end coming, that there will be a time when all struggles end. The end will come when when Jesus returns or, or practically for each of us when we face our deaths. These things will certainly happen, though we don't know when. The end is coming. That might change priorities for you. 
It probably should. How we spend our time, our money. So go your way, knowing this truth. Time before the end is limited. Life is valuable. Here's another thing we know. The end is actually the beginning. See, the dust doesn't end things. No, there's judgment when that book is open. This too is certain. So go your way knowing that truth. If your name is in the book already, if you trust in Jesus, then be greatly comforted and hopeful. Deliverance is coming, even deliverance from death. It's a warning to those whose name is not in that book, or at least not yet. If your name is not in that book, if you don't trust Jesus, today is the day to begin. And here's another thing we know. The end has already begun. Look back on the certainty of Jesus' resurrection, which guarantees the certainty of yours and mine. Everlasting life, it begins now. You can forgive knowing that you are already forgiven. You can speak to God in prayer as his child, having already been adopted into his family. Go your way knowing that the end has already begun. And Daniel is told a final thing. The final thing he's told in this whole book, Daniel chapter 12, verse 13, you will rest and then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. We've already spoken about resurrection and here it is confirmed again. Daniel is an old man by now. He's seen much. He's experienced much. He's heard many confronting and confusing things, but that's okay. He doesn't need to work it all out because God has. The drumbeat through Daniel has been that God is in control despite external uh, appearances, despite persecution, God is king. His kingdom will never end. So Daniel will rest knowing that he doesn't need to do anymore to understand any better. He will rise again and receive his inheritance. And so we can rest too. Rest easy. Rest in the knowledge that God cares and that he's in control and that we've seen it in the breathtaking story of his deliverance of us in the Lord Jesus.